Hello! And welcome back to The Backdrop. I'm your host, Matt Considine. This is our second episode of a two-parter with Doug Stein, golf course developer, founder, and president of Black Creek Club, a modern iteration of Rayner and McDonald's classic template holes in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's also our fourth installment in our series focusing on the people and places that make up the golf scene and the fine town hosting our members this April for New Club's spring meeting. That's right, Chat Town, Nuga, Chattanooga, Tennessee. So listen in and enjoy Doug as he shares his thoughts on the new world of golf media, what it took for him to play these classic designs 30 years ago, his compilation of what they called the Rainer Report for Lookout Mountain, and why he thinks timing is right for another golden age of American golf. And when I meet these guys like uh, like you and like the, the Sugarloaf Social Club and No Laying Up and all these guys that are doing these golf podcasts, I meet you guys and I think, we used to, to spend a lot of money and use a lot of contacts and spend a lot of political capital to get to go do this. And you guys have figured out how to do it and get paid. <laughs> do it and make money. It, 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 it's amazing to me to see guys like you and the, the guys at Sugarloaf and No Laying Up and, and those places. Uh, the fried egg, Andy Johnson was somebody that I talked to early on in his career, and I thought, what a, this guy's lost his mind. He needs to go find a real job. <laughs> so, yeah, well, uh, I, I can assure you, I don't think the getting paid is is uh it's not as much as people might might be thinking i think you know it's it certainly stems from the same things that you and king were experiencing and you know the you peel back a layer of the onion and it just you're you're amazed by it and you you dig deeper um i i think it's i think all all the groups you just listed i mean the thing they all have in common is a passion to share it uh to get more people saying you know man you got to take a look at this this is how golf should be played. This is more fun. This is interesting. Uh, and it, yeah. it spreads, it spreads from here from because of people like you, Doug, that's why, you know, you guys were, were the, uh, uh I'm, I'm sure at the time this was, uh, far more radical than what we're doing. There weren't many and I knew them all, at the, but there were people before us. So early on in this quest, you know, we met George Bato. The, and, uh, uh, George, he's the, um, See the historian? Help me out. I, I know that. Yeah, name. he's he's died. He's since died. But he was a he was a dry cleaner. He was a, he ran a laundry, and he was a Seth Rayner, Charles Blair McDonald, Charles Banks nut. And he had gone around. I mean, this is the kind of thing that was done back then. He had collected scorecards from all the old courses, and he I mean he, he was like a archaeologist digging up this stuff and going around and spending his own money to go do these things. And he had come to visit Lookout at one time. And we, you know, everybody put him in touch with King and I, and we built a friendship of correspondence with George Bato, who had compiled more information than anybody about Rainer McDonald Banks courses i think he fell in love with it because of it he grew up on a charles banks course or something yeah. but we met those guys and then uh ran morissette started the golf club atlas discussion group yeah um 
and we got to meet those folks. But we had to go around. I, I mean, we met uh, Frank Ford down at Charleston Country Club, uh, 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 Jim Yance was the superintendent at Yeamans Hall, and he had a bunch of historical stuff on Yeamans Hall. So we we I, we met these folks, and you know there weren't many of us, but we slowly learned, you know, the characteristics of a Rainer golf course. Some of them, you know, Chicago Shore Acres, uh, National Golf Links, of course. Yale, a little bit less so, were, were remarkably well kept. Right. Um, and had, you know, they hadn't changed them much. Right. I mean, the first time you see the stuff at Yale, you go, oh, my God. I mean, coming out of the the Robert Trent Jones era, to see something like the eighth hole at Yale, uh, you just say, oh, my God. That's incredible. You just never had seen anything like that, you know, the first time I saw it. Um, and St. Louis, the, the short hole at St. Louis with those bunkers down there 20 feet below the green surface or whatever they are. They, it, back in that time, it was before people started clearing the trees back. And, of course, look, that was covered with trees. But uh, you'd have a bunker shot. If you hit a shot that, and it's a bad shot to hit it there, okay? You, you shouldn't be there. But if you do, not only were you coming out of a, hitting a sand shot that was 15 feet up in the air, but there were tree branches overhanging. I mean, it was incredibly difficult and, and probably stupid. But uh, that's what that's how most of the courses were. They had gotten a lot of trees on. And, and, and as you guys, you know, you're traveling, you're doing the research, um, you probably – learned quite a great deal about Seth Rayner himself. Although I hear he's kind of the secret assassin. He didn't take a whole lot of notes or, uh, or, or write much down. There's no real quotes out there from him. <coughs> yeah. Nothing, nothing like what Donald Ross did. So I've seen several original Donald Ross plans mm-hmm. since I started doing this kind of stuff. Um, and, and all that, you know, there's not any of that, but of course I had seen, and I do have the original working drawings for Lookout, which are hand-drawn and in color and, and with with editorial notes on them. So the, the, I never was able to find that linen drawing that I saw the first time. Again, Betts went out of business and they left. But I did, did find the original drawing on super thick paper that was that was taken from. That's cool. What what do you what do you think you might admire most of uh, of Seth Rayner? I don't know. I don't know what kind of guy he was. I know when I called Pete Dye when I first when I first started doing this, Pete Dye was the only golf course architect I knew, and so I called him up and I said, "Hey, Pete, it's Doug Stein." And he says, "Hey, Digger." He called me Digger. <laughs> hey, Digger, and I said. Listen, I'm a member at Lookout Mountain Golf Club, and this golf course was designed by a guy named Seth Rayner. Do you know anything about him? Hell, do I know anything about him? That poor son of a bitch, he was my chief influence. That poor son of a bitch only knew how to build 22 holes. The only question is, which 18 have you got? (laughs) And I asked him, you know, I said, would you be interested in helping us get the course restored? And he said, no, I don't do stuff like that. 
you know, but you, there's lots of guys out there. You'll find somebody who, you know, that's kind of the way he was. But he, uh, I'll never, I'll never forget that, that quote. He only knew how to build 22 holes. The only question, which 18 have you got? Um, so over, over time going around and seeing all the Rainer courses, I began to understand, and of course at Lookout, you have the four classic short, or four classic par three templates. The Beerit, Short, Rodan, Eden. And uh, at St. Louis, they kind of have two Edens. They have a hole called Crater that's Eden-esque. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you know, when we started going around looking, you just go, that, that is so cool that you know, he's, and of course, we find, found out about uh, Charles Blair McDonald's book that has the template recipe in it. You're familiar with that book? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah and and yeah. more familiar with, obviously, Andy Johnson's uh, write-ups on all the template holes. And, you know, that's, we'll, we'll probably link out to some of those for people listening on, you know, who Seth Rayner was and, uh, CB McDonald. Yeah, the, Andy's done an incredible job, and I've told people many times about the template holes. When we w- started doing this, that there's more information on his website than we compiled in three years of digging. You, it wasn't all in one place. You know, you couldn't right. you couldn't find that out like you can now. He, I mean, that's an incredible service that he's done to the world. It really is. It really is. And, and the, uh, you know, what I, th- what I like about templates is, uh, and I know everybody doesn't love the temple holes, but I think you got to appreciate it because, you know, I've only played one Seth Rayner golf course. Um, but I, but I have played template holes, most of which are from, you know, the homeland. Uh, so, so you see them over in Scotland where the game started and those are the original templates, but what I like about them is that, you know, in all other sports, if I'm telling you I'm on the 40 yard line, you, you can visualize that. If I'm telling you, you know, I'm, I made a three pointer or, you know, uh, uh, I'm at the shortstop position, everybody can kind of visualize it because you, you have the same place of play with golf. It's much harder. You know, you, it takes a lot longer, probably why we stay in the card room and the clubhouse longer after rounds. But if, if we haven't, you and I haven't played the same golf course and you tell me that, you know, you're on the Beeritz or you're on the Redan or the Eden hole. I can already be yeah. there with you. I'm already there with you, which I think is so cool. Yeah, it is. It, 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 what's cool for me is to see how the same idea is adapted on different grounds. So, you know, one of the things I think I believe I've learned since starting in golf is you know, these angles, there's only a certain number of golf co- holes. So Pete Dye's comment that he only know, knew how to build 22 holes. Well, Pete Pete probably only knows about the same number. I mean, he keeps building the same thing over and over. And the reason that great architects build the same thing over and over is because that's what makes golf compelling. And you're playing on a different piece of ground, but the angles are a critical component to to uh, what makes it compelling, you know, it's not bowling. It's you, you, they're angles, and you have to kind of figure out how much you're going to bite off, and and how you're going to make this work. And you know, I, I watched the pro, the tenth hole here at Black Creek. Uh, 
uh, is like the world's longest redan. It's 309 yards to the front left corner of the green, which is drivable for some pros and was originally conceived to be marked, you know, drivable on a dry day. But we had the web.com nationwide tour event here for eight years. And, and some of these pros never figured out how to play the hole and essentially only have a chance to make a birdie or a par if you're as good as they are. They and Sometimes you'd see a guy make a seven, you know, and you just say, well, why did you do that? They just, you know, it's hard to, hard to understand. But, uh, you know, and, and at St. Andrews, those angles are everything. Yeah. You know, picking out picking out your path to the hole is what makes it compelling. And uh I mean the place is wide open. It feels like you're you can hit it anywhere almost. Although I've already told you stories about being in two gorse bushes, so it doesn't make <laughs> but, and, uh, and being crazy enough to hit out of one. Uh yeah. Uh no that's that's uh that's so well said on, on what makes it compelling. And I'm going to, I just jotted down. It's not bowling. You know, that's a great response to people who, who wonder why, you know, like I have friends who um, have been introduced to golf uh, more so lately and they're, they're going to the driving range or um, they went to top golf and they had a blast, which I think is great. Uh, but what yeah. I struggle with with top golf is that it does feel like bowling. And I just know that when you add the, the strategic elements to this game, and you get on some green grass, that is golf. And it is so fun uh, when you get to play places like Lookout and Black Creek, where the, the strategy is infused into it. And, and, you're, and you're now making the decisions on, all right, how do I want to play this hole? It doesn't mean you can execute it, but you know, it does mean that you have those decisions to make, which uh, is different than, than a lot of games. So you asked me what I admired most about Rainer, and of course I didn't know him, but but the uh, about his designs, I think one of the things that's most inspiring about what he did was the use of corners, the use of squares and rectangles. If you if you start plotting out the geometry on a piece of paper, then you begin to realize that approaching from the side of the table, if you call the green a table shape. If you're approaching from one of the sides, you, it's better. You don't want to approach across the diamond shape, especially if the pin's in the corners. So, so setting that angle, you know, that's the genius of corners and greens, and and why peanut shaped or kidney bean or those kinds of greens are not as compelling to me because they don't have that. And then the other thing, the same thing's true about the bunkering. You know, if you have a flat bottom bunker that's at the bottom of a steep slope, then the worse your shot is, the more difficult your bunker shot is. But a green that's shaped like, I mean, a, a bunker that's shaped like a dish, you hit in the corners and it all rolls down to the bottom. You 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 know, if you hit it, if you miss to the right of a of a right side bunker and it's shaped like a dish, and if you, you miss way off to the right, it rolls into the center, and if you just barely miss the green by a foot, it rolls into the center. But on a flat-bottom bunker, if you barely miss, you, you've got a easier bunker shot than you do. If you miss it bad, you've got a lot of sand to cover. Mm -hmm. 
so you know i really love flat bottom bunkers with the slope that comes straight down to them um and and square i like the rectangular square shape i think it's strategically adds a ton more to the angles because you know when you're plotting your way around you're kind of plotting yourself in straight lines although you have the advantage of of making bent lines right so if you've got a green that runs from right to left and your shot runs from like right to left you hit a draw to a green that's shaped like that then you've got more runway for your ball to land in and run out whereas if you hit a fade you're kind of hitting across the short part of the green like that and so if you get the wrong shot shape it's harder so you you know if you start diagramming out if you can go on google and map out a rainer golf course and just draw the geometry of the golf course on there and draw the the shapes of the fairway corridors and the shapes of the greens then you'll start to see what what shape of curved line you can fit on that and where where you need to be you know and there's some places where you can you get a perfect angle and you go in you can go in dead straight and you can uh, have more room to make a mistake that way yeah. of, of a push or a pull or, you know, so that it's, it's really compelling. And, uh, well, maybe that's, you know, I, I'm no math guy, but, uh, I did get a C in geometry, so I could, I could give that a, a shot. Uh, but we, we got a resident math guy on, on our membership. So he, he, he does diagram courses and looks at it and he, he has shared some of the same things that you have about that. It's almost like it, it, you think you see one of the greens and you're like, well, that's simple or it, or it appears to be a more simple design, um, not to build, but in appearance. But as you talk about it, it's, it's far more complex. And I think that's the beauty of it. Right. So, you know, on a, on a Rainer course or super, especially the big bone Rainer courses, like that where McDonald was like St. Louis and national golf links and, some of those courses that have Chicago where they have the, you know, they got big greens and they got big angles and they got wide fairways. You, you know, you go in there and plot those things out and you begin to see there's a better way to play this hole. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that where the pin is, you know, if you change the pin location, you got to do something different. So you can't walk on the, this, the third tee and, say this is a driver hole and pull out your driver you got to think about where the pin is might not be a driver hole today yeah you uh you brought up uh 10 at black creek which i've seen pictures of and cannot wait to play for myself um tell us about black creek for those that are not aware you know it's a modern iteration of the the rainer and mcdonald uh design with with template holes and, and many that people say are some of the best template holes they've seen. Uh, but what was the inspiration outside of, of Rainer to build it? What was your goal when you know founding the club? Uh, tell tell us about the how Black Creek came to be. Everybody whose name I've mentioned today played a role because I wouldn't we wouldn't have had the chance to build it if it hadn't been for Jack Lupton and Pete Dye and Brett Mullen and King Emick for sure and Gary Chasen and you know, Bob Corker, I mean, they, you know, some of them may not feel like they played a role, but they definitely did. Um, but the piece of property that Black Creek is on was belonged to a man named Judge Will Cummings, who was great friends with 
FDR, Franklin Roosevelt. And uh, so it was a compelling piece of property that had never been developed in Chattanooga, and it's kind of on the wrong side of Chattanooga because uh, of a decision to put Interstate 75 on the east side of town, and this is on the west side of town. And frankly, this is a lot closer to Chattanooga than than anything on the east side of town. It's on the other side of Missionary Ridge. So I had I had first been called to look at this piece of property by Zach Womp, who was a 12 12-year congressman from the third district of Tennessee, and he was in the real estate business then. And he came armed with a National Golf Foundation packet of stuff, and we walked this thing, and you need to build a golf course out here. And I said, it sounds great. I love it. But at that time, nobody could tie up the land, which was in Judge Cummings' estate. And belong, part of it belonged to a guy from North Alabama named Wiedemeyer. And so I looked at it then. Then I looked at it with another realtor named Gaston Rao about building a golf course here. So I had been all over this property. And then I was asked to do a, a, a site study for an eco-industrial park out here for River Valley Partners, which was one of the not-for-profits that Lupton had set up to make Chattanooga a great place, which worked. And, and so I had, I had, I knew where the sewers were. I knew where the rock was. I knew what the geology was. I knew the soil characteristics. I knew the wetlands. I knew everything about the piece of property. So when we were doing the renovation of Lookout with Brian Silva and King and I, and uh, my construction company was doing the, the construction work up there, uh, a childhood friend of mine named Jimmy Chapin that I had done some developments with came running out on the golf course and said, Steiny, Steiny, I've got the coming farm tied up. I want you to come see if you can build a golf course on it. And I said, well, I already know I can build a golf course on it. There's no doubt about it. How did you ever manage to tie it up? Nobody could ever get everybody to the table. And uh, Mr. Wiedemeyer had died. And and Jimmy had managed to pull the parcels together. So he, he, was, he was not to be denied, and we brought – Brian down and drove on the property and said, yes, we can build a golf course here. So, you know, by it, at that period, uh, I was eat up with Seth Rayner and so was King and so was Brian, I think. And I don't think, I don't know if, I'm sure Brian had done a restoration before, the one he didn't look out, but I don't. I don't know of the ones he did before he did that. I know of the ones he did subsequent to that. And so a lot of that stuff I feel like we learned together. I mean, I certainly, you know, Brian Silva knows 10 times more about what makes a golf course great than I do. Um, but we learned a lot from each other, and we were both drunk on the same stuff. And uh, I said, you know, what I want to do is, is build a modern course to prove to confront the modern player with the shot values that Seth Rayner presented us in 1925. What does that mean, big guy? I could almost hear Brian say. So he, he uh, I said, well, think about the beer it's hole at Lookout. It was 220 yards long in 1925 when he designed that. There were 10 people playing golf that could hit a ball that far. You know, I mean, they, nobody could, you couldn't drive it. 
couldn't get there. I mean, that's a long hole. So if we build a beer, it's told it should be 285 yards long. Which he, you know, he didn't he didn't drink as deeply from the cup as I did. I don't think so. So Brian didn't let us do that on some of the holes, but that was what we decided to do: is build a modern Rainer McDonald to to put the shot values in front of the modern player who was at that time. You know, there were 10 players in the world that could fly the ball 285 yards. So 1998, when we start working on this project, we're still playing tour, tour professional 100s or some professional 90s, and we're still playing a lot of balls, and, and there's, we've maybe just gotten away from wooden clubs. And uh, so the ball, was, and the ball was just getting ready to accelerate at that time. And so... Uh, you know that's what that's what we did. We had a we built a beer it and uh, a punch bowl and the world's longest redan and then the greatest redan ever built in my opinion. Seven is the seventh hole is exactly what I hoped it would be. And uh, there there's many stories about the seventh holes creation but basically we didn't create it it was already there we just walked up on the hill and there it was yeah and it yeah. was uh 239 yards long and it had the slope and everything and it was just a matter of, of brian getting tom kennedy was our chief shaper and uh david we had a guy named david coates that was crazy funny shapers are funny people <laughs> and uh uh you know, we just he'd say, "Here's the corner," and by that time, because we'd done lookout, you know, everybody understood what it was going to look like and how dramatic it was. One of the first things I said to Brian, he would come every week, and we'd walk together. I, I mean, it, it was just so much fun. It was incredible. Yeah, and that that beer, it's on seventeen. You know, and if you're listening, go look at some pictures of this hole. I mean, it it looks like one of the biggest, baddest spirits you can play and maybe it's, it's just far sick. Could be. it is sick it really is and we've added a t now i finally got brian to come back and do some things uh that i wanted him to do the first time and the, the rule of thumb that i gave first learned at lookout mountain with the greens committee i said we can argue with brian all we want but when it comes time to make a decision he has 51 percent of the votes and if we're not going to do it that way, we don't need a golf course architect. We can just go out there and screw the place up ourselves. You know, I, I, I'd be more than happy to just pry my hand at it, but we need to have a somebody knows what they're doing. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it look out the argument I lost was about the principal's nose. King and I both, you know, screamed and ranted about having the principal's nose bunker on eight, which is not there because Brian thought it was not appropriate to put is that up. Is that a, a double plateau or? No, eight, eight's a little corner green kind of thing. It's like a, it's kind of a, I don't know that it's a template hole, It's but it, you can tell it's a rainer for sure. And it just goes to the corner of the property. It's a little bit like the uh, eight at St. Louis. Okay. Which is their cape hole. Yeah. But yeah, it's, 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 it's not a cape. It's, it's, but it's kind of like that. It's like a straightened out cape. Hmm, cool. and, and, and on the original plan, the principal's nose bunker complex was on there. 
but it's not right. there still. Well, I'm like I've mentioned. I mean, all this is just so so. Uh, I'm excited to experience it all uh, with with Black Creek. I know the only criticism I've, I've really heard, and I've I, I've talked to quite a few people that have played there, and every one of them has has enjoyed themselves and loved it. Uh, but so just it being residential on one one side of the course. What was the because uh, what was the kind of the decision? It, you know, probably the time. And it sounds like it sounds to me like it's on that part of town. You guys had a had a plan, but you, you, that the housing was a, a part of that plan. So what what was that like? How does that come to be? And do you think it's even that big of a distraction? Is it? I mean, a lot of times I tell people like, well, focus on the good, not the bad. You know, but what 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 is your how how did the residential part of it come to be? Well, I told you. A guy, a childhood friend named Jimmy Chapin came to me and, and asked if I could build a golf course. And I had the reputation of being a, somebody who could make that happen because we had built the honors course with, with Jack Lupton and Pete Dye, and we had done the renovation work at, at Lookout by then. And uh, I had done other golf course work, and I had been a consultant to the state on the Bear Trace courses um, with Nicholas. And so he came to me and said, can you build one? And I said, yes. And so his original vision for this place was for that course, to, the course to be a semi-private course and for him to have kind of a low, lower end subdivision. This part of town was never uh, a high end part of town, just hadn't been. And so I think it was hard for people that grew up here to conceive of this as being a, a higher end residential community. So, we didn't own, I didn't own, my group didn't own, me, Gary Chazen, King Emig, and Clay Crumbus did not own anything but the golf course. And we were going to build a golf course, and we were going to own it and operate it. And we thought that would be great. And he was going to do the subdivision. So we sat down and we routed it with that in mind. And uh, the original studies were it was going to be semi-private, so you could play, you could, you know, it would be middle middle range course and and i told jimmy when he asked me about it i said it does not cost any more money to build a great golf course than it does a crappy golf course in fact they cost the same essentially it's just a matter of how much extra money you want to spend but it basically golf course architecture on a decent piece of land is laying carpet so do you do you choose a good carpet and make it interesting or do you have an ugly carpet <laughs> because it's it's ultimately about surface area. You know, you're going to have a certain number of square feet of this kind of grass and a certain number of square feet of fairways and tees and rough. And, you know, it's it's just surface area. And mm. you know, the, how you lay it out on the land and where you put the features and the bunkers and how you use the contours of the land that already exists is what it is. But it doesn't cost more. That's all the architect and planning to build a great golf course. So I yeah. said, I'm going to build as good a golf course as we can build out there. And, you know, Brian's, Brian's going to come do it. King and Gary and Clay are going to help, and we're going to build a modern Seth range. And I don't think anybody had ever done anything like that before. I didn't know of anybody that had done it. And, has anyone, uh, I mean, has anyone done it since? You know, oh, yeah. God almighty. Uh, 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 you know, uh, Mike Kaiser came out here to visit this us me after a few years because he was looking at doing it, and that's that course is Old McDonald. Old McDonald, of course, yeah. What am I saying? 
Yeah, that. that's the same yeah. idea. Yeah, so there. I saw. I got an email two days, two weeks ago from Lynx Magazine or something about Arcadia Bluffs, where yeah. Dana Fry's. I mean, that's it. I saw the pictures. It's. You know, I told King Emix King, my good friend King died a few years ago, and uh, his widow's still friends of mine, and his sons, and I showed it to him, and I said, I, it's my opinion that without your father. This place wouldn't exist, but nobody up there would know his name. But the fact that he supported me in this idea uh, made it happen. So the the course at Black Creek was the first time I think that anybody thought, "Hey, we can we can build a modern Rainer influenced design." And I think, I mean, you, uh, Chattanooga Golf and Country Club is a is a Donald Ross course, and I and I love it. It's a it's a quirky little course, and then they they've changed the routing enough and had enough money that they've changed it enough times that it basically lost its Ross characteristic. And then they hired Bill Bergen to go out there and try to reclaim its Ross characteristic. And if you go to Chattanooga Golf and Country Club, you will see that their bunkers are like Black Creek's bunkers. When, and Augusta National's bunkers are like Black Creek. Not Augusta National. Augusta Country Club's bunkers are like Black Creek's bunkers. Mm-hmm. And you know, and and Brian was doing that early on at, at Waverly and Cape Cod National for sure, which I think predated uh, Black Creek. But Black Creek was the first one to take the full swig. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, and I think we've influenced a lot of places since then uh, around think, here for sure. I think you have, yeah. I mean, what I uh, uh, think is so cool about this game, the more layers you get into it, uh, those moments of inspiration, many come from uh, the same places. And so, like, you know, you had not played golf before you are 26, and, you know, you, you get into it. And you meet all these incredible people. You go to uh, the, the one point of inspiration that I always come back to is the old course where old Tom, you know, did his thing and inspired people like C.B. McDonald and and then Seth Rayner, who he inspired. And then, you know, you are out there playing all Seth Rayner's courses and, and getting inspired to do something with a group of people. And, and so your comment to uh, to King's family, that's going to really uh, that really sits with me, resonates with me because. Uh, you're right. I mean, look at if you guys don't do that and you don't do the Rainer report and, um, you know, even in the last five years, I heard there was some Rainers that have been discovered. Uh, and then people like Mike Kaiser pick it up from, from that. And people like, um, the folks at Arcadia and Fry doing the South course there. I mean, so it, it just keeps going and going. And, uh, and that's what I think is so cool about uh, the game of golf. They can do that. Yeah, you were talking about the uh, the old course. So I had the opportunity to interview many golf course architects, and and I played with Steve Smyers, who did Wolf Run, that I thought was a really great golf course. And I understand it doesn't exist anymore, but I I loved Wolf Run early on and played it a lot. Um, but in my interviews. I started, I learned to ask the question, one of the questions I'd always ask an golf course architect is, what is the greatest golf course in the world? And there is a correct answer. 
Um, and the correct answer is St. Andrews. And, and my, you know, that question would, would often uh, stir a lively debate. And my, my final point about why St. Andrews is the greatest is because it's the first and everything else is a copy. I mean, we play 18 holes because it's 18 holes. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to understand golf and what makes golf great, you have to you have to know the old course. That's that's the game, and the rest of it, you know, you can alter it, tweak it, but that's the game. And it's, you know, I remember watching Tiger play the the Saint Anne, the Open Championship in 2000, the year he ran the table, basically. And I think that's the year. And I told my wife. I said that he played 72 holes on that golf course with the fairways fairways were stamping 11 and a half or something crazy. I think the fairways were faster than the green. Yeah. He played 72 holes on that golf course and he didn't ever hit in a bunker. That is like, she says, well, what's so amazing about that? He won the golf tournament. And I said, at St. Andrews playing that golf course in those conditions for 72 holes, not hitting in the bunker is like spitting through a screen door and avoiding all the wires <laughs> intentionally. I mean, that's incredible. Um, and and that's, you know, the, the fact that that's the fact and the fact that you, you know, you have to deal with unfair is what makes the game great. You know, you can hit a terrible shot at St. Andrews and find yourself in a great spot by accident and you can hit a great shot and be in a terrible position. And you know how you deal with that's part of it it's kind of the 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 whole scottish uh psychology that that uh, you know we're all dogged victims of inexorable fate you know and the question is how are you going to persevere yeah how do you bounce how do you bounce back that's what the game of golf's about yep yeah that's it's uh that's wild just to think that the you know still regarded in 2019 by most authorities on the game or uh, people who have spent, you know, like me or you spending way too much time thinking about this type of stuff, you know, those people still regard the old course, the first course as its best. I don't yeah, know. It's, that's, that's I mean, golf. that is, it's just uh, fascinating and, and probably not something that, that happens uh, all, all, anywhere or in any other art form or any type of sport or whatever. It's just so unique to our game. Yeah. Yeah. You had asked me about the front side and the residential part of, of Black Creek. So the original developer, the, you know, my childhood buddy, um, we designed it so that we could accommodate that. And he, he built uh, a subdivision there in the place. And, and, you know, we debuted in the top hundred, of golf week's modern golf courses and then fell out. And the, the reason was because the housing offended the sensibilities of the Raiders, I, I presume, or I was told. And, you know, there's really nothing about the, nothing that the golf course architect can do about that. And we were not the developer. We are now the developer. So we ended up buying Jimmy out and we now own 3,000 acres here that we're going to do something really unique with in terms of residential development, much like we did with the golf course. But the 
slowly over time we're try, trying to reclaim those things with trees and make it uh make the housing less uh in your face mm-hmm. and 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 we've grown you know vegetation has grown up into some places it's gotten better and some places it's not gotten better we're going to protect the backside a little better than we did the front um but but the architecture of the front in my opinion is actually more compelling than the back um and the shots you have to play on the front side are in my opinion it's a little bit better than the back the back i remember calling brian after we did 10 which i call the world's longest redan then 11 which is a redan then the 12 which has a redan green then the 13th has kind of a red redan green i said enough with the redan or <laughs> <laughs> well, we met our quota on redan yeah so who doesn't love seeing their ball you know uh, move a little bit toward, closer to the pin also away from it yeah. but in the right shape of the green it, it can be enjoyable but the front has opens with a double plateau the second hole is the road the third hole is the short the fourth hole is uh, a par five with a, a diagonal creek it's a it's a unique hole it, i mean it's something rainer would have built if the, if the land let him do it you know it's just a mishmash of rainer-esque kind of things but it was you know another hole that was kind of there i it was a it was kind of a draw where water flowed or something i, I remember when we first acquired the property i went there and cut down my christmas tree for my family off of what is now the 14th fairway and then the the fifth is now the maiden we changed that green originally the green was was real flat and the hole was short and we got brian to come back and work on that a little bit and then the sixth is the punch bowl the seventh is a redan that's 239 yards long that you just almost have to bounce the ball onto uh then the eighth has the thumbprint and the ninth is the hole that people who don't aren't huge rain or drunks like i am think is the best hole on the golf course so the that those nine holes and of course my tenth, the tenth is my favorite hole on the golf course so one through ten we really got a lot of good stuff going on the backside is fun it's great but it's to me it's less strategically interesting than the front but the front has the houses on it right so right. So just you know, keep keep your eyes forward. Keep looking at the holes. <laughs> yeah, I've been spending a lot of time lately thinking about uh, the costs of the game and just you know what what it takes to uh, build and maintain great golf. And uh, you said something earlier uh, about the the cost of a course being the same whether you build a good course or or a bad course. So let's go ahead and build a, a good course. I want yeah. I wanted to ask you about that a little further. I mean, as a guy who spent his career in the construction business building, um, what, what do you mean necessarily by that? What does that quote mean? And how do we how do we control costs moving forward so that you know more people can enjoy places like Lookout and Black Creek and Honors? Well, the key is to put your golf course on a good piece of land that you don't have to move much dirt on. So we. On on Black Creek, we had to move 180,000 yards. 
and half of that was topsoil. So we had to strip the topsoil off to regrass everything. So that's 90,000 yards. So we only moved 90,000 yards to build 18 holes of golf in a driving range. Hmm. Um, so that's not much. That's almost none, really. I mean, it's you're talking about six inches of dirt moving on the average across the whole property. Um, at Lookout, they probably didn't move that much. And, uh, you know, it was built with mules and drag pans, supposedly. Hmm. Um, at the Honors Course, we moved a million yards. And, uh, you know, because there were dams built and, and there was a lot of dirt moved and moved around. So the honors cost more, but, you know, that that's where the money gets spent. Unless you're doing things like wall-to-wall concrete cart paths with curves. That costs a lot of money. But you just don't need that. If you don't believe me, go to Newport Country Club, which is a great place. You know, and they're not wall-to-wall cart paths and the greens tees and fairways are immaculate and the rest of it's just kind of we'll get to it when we get to it hmm. they, you know the, when i went to visit newport the, there was no landscaping around their big victorian clubhouse and the pay, parking lot wasn't paved black creek parking lot's not paved just gravel so when we did the renovation at lookout i told the 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 membership at the club and the guys on the committee i said the the members of this golf course will be more happy playing the restored golf course and and playing cards in a trailer than they will playing in a brand new real rehabilitated clubhouse and not having the, the course done. The course is what's most important. The golf course is the most important asset of any golf club. Mm-hmm. And and they don't they don't care that much about what the clubhouse is like. I mean, give us a warm place with a roof and some windows and a, and a tap for some beer and some whiskey and a deck of cards we're good you know newport they had a they had a little refrigerator that that was smaller than the one i had in my college dorm room and a little girl there with a a, a, not a blackboard but what are the marker board you know she made a chicken salad sandwich and a pimento cheese sandwich and crackers and potato chips and drinks and beer and that's what you can have for lunch and let me tell you it was one of the finest meals i ever had look overlooking the newport country club golf course after a round there and eating my pimento cheese sandwich and looking out over the view incredible yeah Yeah, i i share your approach i think most golfers would of, of golf clubs you know, keeping focus on the main asset of the golf course. Um, but as it comes to the overall club, it's almost as if, you know, when you, we need to take some pages out of architects and Seth Rayner and all the, the new architects and their design where, you know, simplicity can, can really satisfy and having some restraint around, you know, our clubs would, would certainly help the, the cost uh, situation we have at, at so many clubs. You know, we're, we're um, so many clubs looking for new ways to generate revenue and it's a harder look to, to, to look at some costs. But uh, but, you know, I think many places would really benefit long term from from doing it. Well, you know, here at Black Creek and up at Lookout Mountain, the 
courses are cared for 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 very reasonable budgets. Um, we don't have flower gardens. We don't care for a lot of stuff that's not the golf course. We it's greens, tees, and fairways in that order. And if it rains enough that we have a rough, that's fine. And if it rains enough that we've got got off a rough, then that's also fine. And and uh, there's a lot of of uh, wild areas that require you know we we burn them in the spring and we we bush hog them a couple of times maybe in the middle of the summer but other than that we don't touch them so they don't we don't spend a lot of money taking care of areas that golf balls are not supposed to be on yeah yeah that's that's how you do it yeah yeah the uh so i the the uh, first project of Lookout Mountain, I think Seth Rainer's budget was like $400,000. And as you mentioned, that was the second largest uh, expense on a golf course other than Yale, which I think was upwards of $500,000. So yeah, in, uh, six, I think. is it sick? Okay. So in 95, you're, you know, working with Brian Silva on the, the restoration renovation project. Uh, what was that budget? Do you remember what that total came to be? We did that entire renovation for seven hundred eighty thousand dollars. Wow! Two new greens. <laughs> That's of course, I had, I had a lot of incentive to to make it cheap because my company did it, you know. But and I was a member of the club, so we did it as inexpensively as we could. We put fifty five bunkers in solid rock. So the reason that the bunkers had not been properly installed on the golf course ever was because. It was solid rock, and they didn't have the technology to, to take care of that. But I knew a guy named Norman Collingsworth. <laughs> and Norman uh, was from northeast Tennessee, and he wore overalls and no shirt. And he was about six foot nine, and he looked like Hagrid from Harry Potter. And I had contracted with, with him to shoot the rock for the bunkers. And he came in and he drilled and he drilled all the drain lines for the bunkers. So we put 55, I think is the right number, bunkers in on the plan of Brian's restoration plan, which most of which came off Rainer's plan. And uh, he shot those things in this capstone on the top of Lookout Mountain is sandstone. And some of the stuff, is is so hard you just can't do it you ever heard the phrase go pound sand oh yeah yeah well when you, that favorites. comes from that comes from these rocks around here so when you get a, a, a hoe ram a hydraulic hammer that sits on an excavator that you use to break that stuff up when you start to hit this stuff it pretty quickly makes sand and it makes a little sand pocket and you you're not doing anything you're just pounding sand it's not going anywhere and it's absorbing the blow and you're not breaking the rock so Norman brought a drill, big carriage drill, and he drilled all these holes in there, and he loaded them up, and he would shoot those things, shoot the, where the bunker was going to be to the proper depth and everything, and it would be complete sand when we got there. I never had seen anybody that could shoot the sandstone. Normally, it would do something called duck nest. It would open up, and it would be a interior geode that you created, and the rest of the rock just got harder when you did that, so it didn't break. He was he was pulverizing this stuff. So I said, Norman, how do you shoot this rock? 
Yeah, the one like this. He looked at me and looked down at me with a huge man. Well, <coughs> I loaded up with a lot of dynamite until I get real uncomfortable. <coughs> and then I had a stick. <laughs> oh, and then he just blows it to smithereens. Oh my God! We put we would put these maps on top of this stuff, and it would blow the map six feet into the air when he would fire <laughs> off one of those shots. But he, yeah, that was awesome fun. So we, when I we did that, we got all this money. I can't wait to be yeah. hitting my you know first bunker shot out at Lookout, and I'm gonna be thinking about him the whole way, and just you know pounding sand. Norman Collinsworth, he was something. I'm thinking of. You know, all your travels, you've, you've traveled quite a bit. Uh, where do you think Chattanooga ranks on, on the list of all-time golf towns? Oh, my God. Well, there's towns in the Northeast that are tough to beat. Chicago is tough to beat. But, you know, we have four golf courses here that I would I would stack up with anybody. I tell I told somebody the other day, I said, these these young people that are coming to see me now, the golf pilgrims, I call you. <laughs> um, I'm using the same term. I probably uh, heard from you. Yeah. Uh, they they want to come to Chattanooga and see what we've got. They want to see Sweetens Cove and Rob Collins work there, which is cool. I think you also ought to see Swanee, where Gil Hans's work was done, and I worked with them on that. That was a great fun project. And Lookout and Black Creek and the Honors Course. And we have four courses in there that they want to see. Yeah. Knoxville has one, Holston Hills. Yeah. Nashville doesn't have any. You know, Probably my favorite course in Nashville is the Golf Club of Tennessee. But it's, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't rank with these four, in my opinion. They just you know, we've got a really unusual set of golf courses that that are worth seeing, that are architecturally intriguing, and have great history. Um, you know, that's the thing that makes Augusta. You asked me about playing Augusta, and, and the architecture at Augusta is not as compelling to me as some other places. It's not my cup of tea, exactly. But it sure is fun to play because you're hitting shots that you've watched for 40 years on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, that's cool. Um, but these golf courses are worth seeing. When you play uh, any of those courses I just named, you're, you're, you're not satisfied after one round. You don't, you don't ever say, well, I saw that, I, you know, okay, that was fine. You, you want to come back. You want to play it again. You you want to you want to find out where your ball bounces to next time you play it. Mm-hmm. And you just don't. I just don't get tired of any of those golf courses. And I hadn't played as much at Sweetens because I've got you know I'm working at Black Creek now and I live right next to Lookout and I got a dog that needs to be walked. <laughs> but uh, or uh, yeah, uh, so. But I never get tired of lookout, and and even when I or Black Creek for that matter, or the Honors Course, I just you don't get tired. Black, Black Creek and and lookout because they're rainer esque are especially 
fun for me, especially when they get hard and dry. Just talking to you, I, I am uh, so motivated to to enjoy it, you know, to take in some of the stuff that you've obviously seen. Um, and, and I think, you know, our, our little group will as well when we come down. But, uh, but I want to say thanks for uh, giving us so much time sharing these stories with us. You know, the one thing yeah. I, I, you know, we, we were talking about inspiration and, and how it, it pushes the game forward and gets, you know, more people enjoying it or, or gets people that are already in the game who, who want to enjoy it more. And it's, it's just contagious. And, and the metaphor we use is uh, the bumblebee the, uh, of pollination. And that's our logo for that very reason. So you, sir, uh, are the epitome of that. And you've lived it. You've gone out there and you've experienced it and you've, you've shared it. So just wanted to say thanks for, uh, for sharing it with me today. And well, forward. I appreciate you t- talking with me. I, I enjoy it. There are, you know, getting together with the golf nuts is, is always fun for me. That was Doug Stein, founder and president at Black Creek Club in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Thanks, Doug, for all your incredible insights and appreciation for this great game. We couldn't be more excited for our spring trip coming up and new club's spring meeting happening this April at Sweetens Cove in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Thanks, everyone, for listening and enjoy your game.